you lot, you really make me sick. I mean, one just doesn't get any reaction from you. You're, you're neither one thing nor the other. I mean, if you really had strong feelings about the Christian faith, perhaps you'd get up and argue about it, discuss it. No, nothing. If you're enthusiastic, well, now that really would be something that we could rejoice over, wouldn't it? But you're nothing. Nothing ever happens. Pathetic. Now, perhaps you're a little shocked that I should say that to you. Listen now to the last letter in the series that we've been studying together. The letter that Paul, rather, that Jesus sent to the church in Laodicea. If you want to follow, it's on 1236 in the church Bibles, but maybe you should just listen. Uh, Turn back to the Bible in a, in a moment, but if you'd like one, 12.36. But just listen now. This is a letter that would have been read out to the church. Just as we're here, someone would have come and said, we've had a letter. It's derived from Christ. This is what he says. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. Do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame, sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Shocking words. I can't stomach you. You make me feel ill. I'm sure that they would have been 
very shocked to have heard this. When you look at it, it's one of the strongest of the condemnations that comes out in the letters that we've been looking at. But remarkably, as well as that strong condemnation, comes one of the most compassionate and loving statements of the Lord. Please, let me in. I want to come and eat with you. And so there is this remarkable contrast, in a sense, that is there. If you're going to hear some straight speaking, it's probably helpful to know who it is that's speaking to you. No, it wasn't flowers, I'm afraid. Yeah, thank you. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write these things. He who is the Amen. Amen is something we're familiar with. We we tend to tack it on at the end of uh, a prayer. But we shouldn't just tack it on because it, it literally means so be it. It's an emphatic yes. Sometimes you'll hear people say yes instead of amen. But it's appropriate to say so be it. This is something that is true and right. And so the, the letter here is saying here is a letter from him who is the truth. The one who is so be it the right. Is the ruler of God's creation. It's interesting, when you read the letter of Paul uh, to the Colossians, he says, would you also read this letter, please, to the church in Laodicea, uh, so that they can hear it. And when he writes to them, he says this about Jesus Christ. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, Things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And so, says the writer, he is the Amen, the the finality, the truth about everything. He is the beginning, the creator of everything. And as such, therefore, he can be a faithful and true witness. What he says can be relied upon. Seems to be having a problem to move on. (laughs) Okay, thank you. What is it he says? You are neither hot nor cold. Two weeks ago, when Ivor Cooper was with us, he actually referred... Uh, to the fact that in these letters, the writer picks up on local situations to illustrate what he's saying so that people can really understand this. The people in Laodicea will understand what lukewarm is. Uh, They had their water supply piped in over quite a long distance. And you know how it is even today, actually. If you want a cold drink, you have to run the tap for quite a while because what you first get is lukewarm. And lukewarm's not, not nice for anything. It doesn't refresh you because it's cold, but also it's not much good if you wanted to have a bath because it's not hot. 
It's neither one thing nor the other. And so the writer here says, this is what it's like for you in a church. And because of that situation, I'm going to spit you out. Strong words that it should be the case that in that situation there was this awful judgment upon the church. We're going to work with that on. Thank you. So what does Christ say? I am about to spit you out. The judgment is there because of your state. But he doesn't leave them there. And so whilst you have this strong condemnation of the church, also you have Christ reaching out to them. And so again, uh, this is something that they really would have understood. When he says to them that you're poor and naked and blind. And again, the people of Laodicea would have understood the special significance of what he was saying. We're not poor. Laodicea was a very rich city. It was a trading city. There was plenty of riches about in Laodicea. White clothes to wear. But we're well clothed in Laodicea. We have, in fact, a very special brand of sheep uh, in Laodicea, which produce very soft wool. Either the wool itself was black from the sheep or they dyed it, but it was very famous for its wool. So to speak to us about being needing clothes, we don't need that. And then salve to put on your eyes. Laodicea was known for its doctors who treated particularly ear and eye complaints. So it's interesting that it picked up in each of these situations something that they would have understood. And they've questioned themselves as a child. You say to us, we're poor. We're not poor. They say to us, you're naked. No, we're not naked. They say to us, you're blind. No, we're not blind. You see, they were a very self-satisfied lot. They were very complacent. They were very happy with the things, the way things are. Perfectly satisfied with the way things are going on. And this is one of the difficulties, that in fact they didn't understand the situation that they were in. That they were blind to the reality of where they were like as a fellowship of God's people. They were blind to what they should have been. A devastating assessment. But how it is that Jesus reaches out to them? Those whom I love, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. And so Christ comes to them very clear about the state in which they are. 
longing for them to understand the reality of their situation. Says to them, I know all about it, but, but I want you to change. So be earnest. Have a real sense in your own hearts of wanting to change. And then repent. Actually go about making the change. What was it that Christ wanted to offer them? He says specifically riches. Writing to the Romans, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. And again, in writing to the Colossians, which the Laodicean church would have heard, My goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that you may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Or you've got material riches, but real riches, the riches of knowing God, knowing his purposes, you've missed out on. Again, Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see. Jesus comes to bring the revelation of the reality of our condition and of what we are. Then he mentions white clothes in Sardis, one of the letters that we've read to already, those who have not sold that soiled their clothes but are dressed in white. It was a kind of uh, symbol of their holiness and their right standing before God. So he said, I want you to, to, to be earnest, to understand the situation you're in, and to be serious about what you want, and to repent, that is, to turn. And then we have this, one of perhaps the most well-known verses in the Bible. Here I am, says Christ. I stand at the door and knock. If everyone hears my voice, opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. It's interesting that when Christ makes this assessment of the church as being lukewarm. What is the answer that he gives? How is this situation to be resolved? Oh, they've they've got to develop better programs. Uh, Their worship needs to be changed. Uh, There should be more prayer. It's not a matter of programs. Jesus says, what you need is me. Now, we often think of this verse as applying to those who have not yet become Christians, of those who who know nothing of Christ living in them. And we say, here is Christ longing to come into your life. And that, of course, is entirely true. This is what Jesus wants. And, And he longs for us to bring us, him, into our lives. But the context, in fact, in which this verse is written is not to unbelievers, but to a church. 
It's written to a church. You think you're church, but where is the Lord of the church? He is outside. And so Jesus actually is saying to the church, the problem you have is that you're not relating to me. And it is this relationship which Christ is longing for and which he's offering here. Someone has pointed out that when uh, the words are used here, uh, come in and eat with him, is not the idea of just having a sort of morning snack. This is actually refers to the main meal of the day. This is something serious. Come in. And, and it's such a lovely picture, isn't it? it it's coming in and sharing. And of course, in those days, uh, eating together had much more significance than perhaps it does for us now. We like doing that. But it's a very significant thing that you have people in and you shared a meal with them. It shows an intimate relationship. And that's what uh, the Lord is, is asking for. Uh, I was reminded, particularly uh, the weather that, that we're in, of that lovely phrase back in Genesis, uh, in the early chapters of Genesis, where it talks about Adam and Eve and the Lord God coming down in the cool of the evening. And I guess these days we actually understand what the cool of the evening means. Um, that intimate relationship which God wants with his creation. And this is what Christ is saying. This is, I want a restoration of that relationship with you. And so he asks us to come in, to bring him uh, to be part of one's life. But an intimate part. Paul describes this in, in a way when he says, I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, writing to the Philippians, he says, I want to know Christ, to know the power of his resurrection, to participate in his sufferings. I want that intimate relationship. And that's what Christ longs to have with his people. And so Christ exhorts the members of the church to overcome. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me. Again, it's interesting. What, what is it that Christ promises? It's the ongoing fellowship and relationship with people, with his people. Reminder of the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17. says, Father, I will those uh, that you have given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. I want people with me. And this is the purpose that God has, that he should know and, and have relationship with us individually. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. What is it that God would have us hear? When I first became a Christian, I started going to church. 
actually we did go as a church, to, as a family. We went sometimes at Christmas, sometimes at Easter. So we might make it twice a year, but not always. When I became a Christian, I was going to church twice a day on Sunday. And I even went during the week. My family said to me, well, Peter, I mean, it's all right to get interested in religion. You know, that, that, that's a good thing. But you don't want to get fanatical. You know, don't go overboard with this situation. They might have said, lukewarm is okay. Don't get hot. But Christ says, lukewarm is definitely not okay. It's remarkable that he has such strong words to say with regard to this. Lukewarm is not acceptable. How is it that lukewarm should be regarded in such a way? Is it because if we've really grasped what creation is about, that God was behind it, if we've really grasped what went wrong with creation and how God reacted, if we've really grasped the amazing plan of salvation and restoration that God put in place, if we've really grasped the triumph over evil that occurred at the cross, if we've really grasped the work of the Spirit of God in bringing us to a knowledge of Christ and transforming our lives, if we've really grasped what it means to be involved in building the kingdom of God, if we've really grasped what it's going to be like in the future, when there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, if we've really grasped these things, and they've grasped us, will we be lukewarm? You can't be lukewarm if these things are really meaningful. These are the most amazing things. And if they are true, and if you believe they are true, you can't be lukewarm about them. You have to be enthusiastic. And how then is this to come about? Is it just trying to whip up some kind of enthusiasm? Is it just to get busier about things? No. It is a deepening relationship with the Lord himself. That, he says, is the answer. These other things will then flow from that relationship. But it's not about programs. It's not about doing this or the other. It's about relationship with the Lord Jesus. When you think about relationships, they don't just happen, do they? You have to work at them. I remember the early stages of our courtship. I was, in fact, in Egypt at the time, 
And the only way of uh, relating was writing letters. And that was a bit of a struggle. You had to keep on writing letters to people. But you had to make the effort. If you didn't do it, and how eagerly one watched the post to see if you were going to get a letter back. You had to work at it. Relations take time. They take effort. They take trust. They take commitment. It's interesting, as Roger was introducing communion, he mentioned it is communion. It is communion with... This is one of the things which helps develop our relationship with Christ. That's why we have communion regularly. That's why it's good for us to be here, to share in it. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want you to build and develop that relationship with myself. And it means bringing, deliberately bringing Christ into every aspect of life. To start the day by laying out one's day before God. Say, here are the things I need to be doing. I commit them to God. It's about making plans. Uh, James had something to say about this. Uh, He said, uh, this is the message translation. I have a word for you who brashly announce today at the latest, tomorrow, we're off to such and such a city for the year. We're going to start a business and make a lot of money. You don't know the first thing about tomorrow. You don't know whether you'll have a life tomorrow. What you need to say is, if the Lord will. And so in the plans that we make, what we look at, every aspect of our life, is to be brought before God so that he becomes part of our life. He becomes our life. As, as Paul says, the life that I now live I live by faith in Christ. And there is this unity of purpose and love. Christ is knocking and waiting. Maybe there are some folk here today who have never, in the first instance, responded to that. Perhaps you haven't consciously said to God, that you want God as, not as part of your life, but to be your life. That you are willing to set aside your own self-sufficiency and accept what God wants to give you in Christ. Perhaps there's someone who's never done that. And so this offer is very real for you this morning. But it's an offer to each one of us. It's an offer to each one of us to invite Christ in in deeper measure. Paul, although he said these words to the Galatians, he also said when he was writing to the Philippians, he said, I'm not yet perfect. I haven't got there. He said, but one thing I do, I press on. And so he wanted to press on to know Christ. Peter, when he writes, says, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's what he asks for us who know him. Get to know him better. Get to know him better. Because in so doing, then these other things, this problem of lukewarmness, will be pushed 
aside. Christ is knocking. Christ is waiting. How will we respond? We're going to sing a song together. Lord, I come to you. It it has, in a sense, in these words, the opportunity of, of response to what that means. Perhaps 